Welcome to Mind Killer, a Dune podcast by LSG Media. Well, we are back and we are diving into three chapters this week. Are we not, Matthew? We're going to do 31, 32, and 33. Yes, indeed. For this evening's readings. <laughs> this evening reading, which is page 448 to 500 in my penguin paperback. Yeah, and uh, in my uh, Kindle version, it's 448 to 500. So it's about 52 pages. And um, yeah, this is uh, episode eight, I guess, as it were. Yeah. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, just in case we edit that. <laughs> just in case they get edited a little, but whatever. So yeah, 31, 32, and 33. And uh, last we left off, Jessica and Paul. Uh, actually, the chapter right before this was the departure of Kynes from this world. He was blown up by a pre-spice mass. Yes, indeed. Lost our boy Kynes. R.I.P. Kynes. It's been real. We, we miss you. We hardly knew you. And uh, here we go, diving into uh, past, uh, just about the midway point in the book, I would say. Maybe a little past, actually. Yeah. And um, why don't you take us through this introduction? Ah, yes. Well, this is, this is the moment where the, we already saw Paul and Jessica essentially get stopped by Fremen ahead of them in that big, wide basin. Yes. But now we're actually getting into the conflict of it. And it is starting off a little hot when mm. the first thing they hear is get their water. Right. And we already know enough about Fremen culture to know exactly what that means. That's fucking kill them. Get their ass. Yes. Get that ass. Get their water is a, is, a, is a very nice euphemism. It doesn't mean, oh, take their bottle of Poland Springs water and send them on their way. It means <laughs> let's put them in our little water grinding machine that turns their bodies into water so we can drink them later. <laughs> delicious potable person oh but um but yeah no we find out you know that there are a lot more fremen here than they realized at first there's actually an entire troop of fremen that start moving up on them yes but before Um, that should we read the intro oh shit yeah we should read the intro let's do that you want to do it sure you get going chapter 31 begins prophecy and prescience How can they be put to the test in the face of the unanswered question? Consider, how much is actual prediction of the waveform, as Muad'Dib referred to his vision image, and how much is the prophet shaping the future to fit the prophecy? What of the harmonics inherent in the act of prophecy? Does the prophet see the future, or does he see a line of weakness, a fault, or cleavage that he may shatter with words or decisions as a diamond cutter shatters his gem with a blow of a knife? From Private Reflections on Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. I love that last sentence. Does the prophet see the future or does he see a line of weakness that he may shatter with words or decisions as a diamond cutter shatters his bow, his gem with the blow of a knife? Almost suggesting you can carve it. If you can see the weaknesses in the future, you can alter them. You can craft them, so to speak, as a diamond cutter crafts. Exactly. So it's like all he's really seeing is the potential for things and then exploiting that. That becomes very important coming up here because of him having visions of seeing himself stabbed, right? Yes. Yeah. All that shit is so good. So as you were saying before, continue. You're talking about more Fremen, how this starts very contentious. Yeah, absolutely. 
What have we here, gin or human, he asked. When Jessica heard the true banter in his voice, she allowed herself a faint hope. This was the voice of command, the voice that had first shocked them with its intrusion from the night. Mm. Um, so they begin talking to this man, to this the lead Fremen. Um, and it becomes apparent that they are aware of Paul and Jessica as fugitives, or at least that the possibility is, uh, is that they could be out there. Indeed. Um, what, because uh, at this point, Paul actually questions him on when, when they say that you may be welcome among us. He questions them, why should you welcome fugitives? Um, and then Stilgar replies, a child who thinks and speaks like a man. Well, now to answer your question, my young Wali, I am one who does not pay the fi, the water tribute to the Harkonnens. That is why I might welcome a fugitive. Mm-hmm. Yes. And of course, as you already stated, this is when Paul realizes he knows who we are, but there's also concealment in his voice. This, uh, this type of stuff is is just so well handled in this novel. These types of tense meetings where depending on how this goes will largely depend on what occurs here. Way back in the early chapters, we watched Liet Kynes threaten a man's life at a dinner table because of (laughs) the way they were exchanging words. And he was very matter of fact about it. He wasn't upset about it. He was just very matter of fact. We saw a lot of this discussion uh, when Gurney Halleck, was uh, was speaking uh, with our man. What was his name again? Oh, damn. The mercenary there. Oh, shit. The son of the other slain mercenary. Yeah. Of the other, or smuggler. God damn it. But when, when he... <laughs> when, 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 Gurley, when Gurney Halleck had his... Uh, you know, they were talking past each other. They didn't understand each other and what that can mean. And then you have moments where this... There is direct challenges, direct confrontation uh, with very, yes, there are subtext here, but also everyone realizes in this engagement, at least the POVs we get, because what Stilgar's thinking, what the rest of the Fremen are thinking, we aren't quite sure yet, but we know that this dance is on a razor. And uh, I like this. I like watching them trying to figure out what are we supposed to say? How are we supposed to react? I mean, how much can I reveal for sure? People are talking from the shadows. Nobody sees anybody until, of course, you know, the the hooded man stepped out. The Bernus hooded uh, head of of Stilgar stepped out of the darkness to reveal himself. And Paul gets this moment where he realizes, oh, my God, I, I know who you are. I was with my father, right? You, you, you took he came with to get Duncan in exchange of friends. That was you. And that's when Stilgar's like, well, Idaho abandoned us. <laughs> so <laughs> there's this moment where Paul's thinking, oh, I, I have control of this situation, but oh, no, maybe not. Um, but, but, <laughs> right. but Stilgar has evidence. We know he's been paying attention to these guys. He knows that Paul utilized the thumper. Yeah, that's not something a child would use. And, and uh, Jessica starts to realize that Hmm, I'm not sure where this is going because Stilgar realizes, well, you could yet be the Lisan al Gaib, which of course makes Jessica happy because of what she knows about the Missionaria Protective and what it's done here, which we're going to get into in a few minutes here. But uh, she she also is troubled knowing, she gets to this point where she thinks, hmm, I'm going to have to somehow prove my worth, not just my worth, my worth, but that I'm not a liability. Because this starts to this starts to get into a discussion of what are we going to do with these two? 
And what do we know about the Furman, Matt? We know that the way they travel and conserve their resources, water specifically, is, is life and death. Life and death hangs in the balance and the efficiency of the way they travel. Um, you know, you can't even remove your steel, your, your steel suit until you're in some sort of isolated environment that has moisture in it. Otherwise, you immediately become a liability. Even a loose steel suit could spell death out here. So uh, dragging non-Fremen through the wasteland of Arrakis is not something anybody wants Total to Total liability. Do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's... Um, you know what it reminds me of? It's like watching one of those movies where you're being pursued by the enemy and you have somebody wounded and you're thinking, you start getting those thoughts in your head or the movie puts those thoughts in your head like, listen, we can't, they're going to catch us. Yeah. That's almost the feeling that seems to pervade all of these Fremen encounters when it comes to how are we going to move? Mobility is everything. Right. The only times, and this comes a little later, but the only times they ever um, speak about their movements, or especially them being overwhelmed by, you know, potentially overwhelmed by the enemy, it's because of their positioning. Sure. Talking about, like, we traveled at the wrong time, we're, we're in a too narrow of a place, like, it's all about positioning and, and, and knowing where they can be and how to use the desert. And he's like, I can't count on you to know that shit. Right. <laughs> you're going to slow us down, you're going to get us killed. Fuck this. And it's funny you say that because one of the things we're experiencing in this in this open here is of course Paul and Jessica being happened upon unaware or happening upon Fremen unaware. And one of the things we see about these Fremen is that they have strong personalities, right? Stilgar feels a way about this, and somebody else who we don't know yet, we're gonna come to know as Jameis, feels very differently about this situation. He feels differently, and he there's debating. There's debating about what do we do with these two people that we have here now. And uh, and Stilgar is is reminded of his duty. Well, at least he's the person reminding him thinks they're reminding him of his duty, and he just says, "Listen, my only duty is the strength of this tribe. The child man interests me. His he's full fleshed. He's lived on a lot of water. He has lived away from the father son." He has not the eyes of that Ibad, which I'm guessing are the blue within blue. Yet he does not speak or act like a weakling of the pans, nor did his father. How can this be? To which the, rep- the reply is, we can't just argue on that. We have shit to do. And, um, and this is where Silgar, he intuits strength in Paul right away, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's, and the main thing, too, was he saw, you know, we come to realize that he saw their crossing, um, yes. When they were using the thumper, like he watched them do that. He watched Paul lead the way. So he's already, he already not only has evaluated Paul somewhat, he's actually kind of seen him in action on Arrakis, which is something that nobody has seen Paul, you know, doing, you know, until now. Which brings us to Jessica, because Jessica starts to realize, I better start making sure this Stilgar, she knows a lot about the Fremen already. Culturally, yeah. anyway, if, if even if she doesn't, you know, one of the things they say is we don't know your ways, and I think, I think that just is, you know, I I I know all the Wikipedia on you, but I don't really know, do I? Until I get out there and start experiencing it, so she sees this as an opportunity to almost sell her worth, in which you know she says, you know, his strength is a result of my training, etc., and it gets to Reverend Mother talk, right? Yeah. Are you a Reverend Mother? And Jessica actually answers honestly by saying no, 
but they go back and forth about her value to which Stilgar's like, I will tell you what is valuable. You don't tell us what is valuable. That's for me to determine because as I've already said, the tribe's strength is my responsibility. Right. And she is smart. She knows how to play this. If there's, if there's, there's many things Jessica's good at. And one specifically that she's good at is reading and understanding people. She's very, very good at that. She's better at it than anybody probably in the book just about yeah. so and far. I mean, she, even though she's still not quite sure how to approach the situation conversationally yet, she, there's a moment where she actually thinks, I have his voice and pattern registered mm-hmm. now. Um, I could control him with a word, but he's a strong man, worth much more to us, unblunted, and with full freedom of action. We mm-hmm. shall see. But it's like she already has evaluated him enough to where she's confident she could use the voice on him and and corrupt him, essentially use him, but she already sees much more value in him as an independent person. Um, but it's like, I still find it interesting that she's already summed him up that much where she feels that she can do that. I love that irony. I love the irony of it doesn't, Stilgar is a formidable individual. There's no question about it. You don't run a CH and be a weakling. You have to be formidable in, in body and in mind and in spirit, you could say. And it takes a special person to run a CH. Not just any bloke off the street can do it. And what do we see? We see Jessica in, in, in seconds. Not even minutes, Matt. In seconds. She goes, oh, he's mine. I mean, that's the kind of Benny Jesuit training that I can't stress enough in this book to help people understand how formidable these women are. Oh, yeah. And the irony here, as you pointed out, He's better not as a blunted instrument, yes. The irony is that she knows if she turns this guy into automaton, then suddenly the rest of the tribe is going to make him answer for this. And eventually that's going to get back to you anyway. So there, I like that I like that the Bene Gesserit don't just have this observational power and this ability to use these weighted words that can control people. They also must have the wisdom to know when and when not to use it. And I I think there's a real enlightening to the training and the experience of somebody like Jessica in something that I'm sure took years to master. Just the wisdom to know when and when not to employ this power. It's cliche to say with great power comes great responsibility, but it's quite true as far as the Bene Gesserit are concerned, especially in this situation. Totally. And it's quite clear that she does recognize the power of that weapon. It's like, it's obviously not quite the same scale, but it's like, it's an interpersonal version of a nuke. (laughs) Sure. Interpersonal relationship wise. Like, yeah, you have the button that you could fucking press, but you're like, that's not always the the right thing I should be going for though. It it almost reminds me of, um, uh, of, of if you compare Dune to Star Wars a little bit. And, and I don't mean to beat up on Star Wars when I'm going to a little bit, but when you think of Jedi powers, obviously some of the better aspects of Star Wars and, and the better stories that the Star Wars universe generates are, are these tales about Jedi who, who do get corrupted, who do, who do succumb in a way that's believable. And then, but you also have, you know, uh, he, you don't need to show, you have these moments where they're just, I'm going to control this guy's mind. And there's really no second thought about that whatsoever. And maybe, maybe there wouldn't be if this was not as if this was a more delicate situation. 
Oh, or if this was a less delicate situation, maybe she would just simply control this guy. Um, and yeah. maybe Star Wars just didn't get as many opportunities to showcase that. It was more simple. It wasn't a, a really, ooh, if I control Watto, what's that mean? You know, if, <laughs> if I fuck with the dice, what does that mean? But uh, I like yeah. that. I like that we get reflection on using this power and if we should or shouldn't use this power and what does it mean to do it. I like that. I like that it, I like that it's tempered. I like that the power of the Bene Gesserit is tempered by their own wisdom and not an external force. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it really shows, I mean, okay, this is really going off on a side tangent, but I mean, you, you, what you said kind of sparked me on it. Like one of the things I think is so interesting about the Dune universe where the book begins is that the institutions of this universe have been around for so long, right? For so long. Like they are the things that truly outlasted everything else. And then once it, you know, these, you know, three big powers, the Imperium, well, and I guess the Landtrad too, then the Bene Gesserit and then the Guild, um, as well as well as Chome, hmm. you know, that that many pillars in the universe, and then they're from there on their power is unchecked. Like they have their their lanes and they they you know basically wield enormous power. Um and Jessica is just such a perfect example of why that institution has lasted so long because yeah. it's gotten so much experience that it's so wise and measured. Indeed. And I just think that's cool. It's like it's it's pure true evidence of an institution that can you know last millennia <laughs> multiple. Sure. It's a great point. So this uh this contention gets physical rather quickly because you know, unless you've been trained from a childhood to live here, you could bring destruction onto this tribe, right? This is Stilgar's concern. And Jessica realizes in this moment that action and decisive action is probably best now. And yeah. she starts this slumping, deceptive, faint to the ground motion. I love it's, the picture of this it's great. so much. Yeah. Um, there's this great moment where it's described as it takes an instant to interpret a known thing when that thing is exposed as something unknown. (laughs) Think about this. Um, everyone's had this experience before you've went into the refrigerator, grabbed a drink and drank something and spit it all over the place and realized, Oh, that's not gross. That's Sprite. I just thought it was Coke. Or you thought it was water or something. Or anything. Yeah. Or anything. anything. Yeah. But any change like that, your mind, it's, it, that shows you the power of the mind and the power of the familiar. You, you can taste it before you taste it, so to speak. Right? These, these, neuron, yeah. these, these neural pathways are already firing. It's like, land here, land here, right? To the plane <laughs> coming in. And, uh, and then you realize it's something completely different. And I like I like that you, you know it takes an instant to interpret a known thing when it's exposed as something unknown. Just that deception. We've talked about deception as a weapon. That was like our thesis for one, one of our thesis for the beginning of this book, and we're seeing it here again. <laughs> and uh, she essentially pounces. She essentially pounces on Stilgar. A whirling of mingled robes as she was against the rocks with the man helpless in front of her. Um, the other thing I like about this, Matt, is I like that her and Paul act in concert, where as soon as mom moves, I mean, think of, first of all, think of the speed in which this happens. Uh, think of, think of, she, well, one of the things I think we take for granted when we watch an action movie or, or watch anything where 
something martial is happening, uh, be it be it a martial arts fight or you know whatever. Pick your type of physical engagement. We never really consider the mental aspect of that, and I think Dune, because it's novel, gives us an opportunity to do that when we think of perception and how important that is, right? Like she knew she could make this move because she knows how this man observes things. She knows how he thinks. She has him with a word, so to speak. And she knows the exact move she can do to essentially start and end the conflict with zero resistance from him. (laughs) And it doesn't necessarily mean because she's completely overwhelmed him physically. It means because she completely took him by surprise with deception. Right. Right. And and in the immediacy of this, Paul literally steps backwards into the shadows. So as mom is twirling around, he's vanishing. That that's a level of simpatico that you just can't. you, You think about it. We've been in situations in a bar or anywhere where two people just start brawling. It takes us a second to take it in. Yeah, um, imagine like, oh, if wait, in that second, exactly. Imagine if in that second, you had the wherewithal to step into the shadows to do something else, or there's something there's something special about that, especially in a situation where you know that life hangs in the balance. Yeah, it shows you Paul's training is amazing, and of course he manages to to give somebody a body jab, like he pops the guy in the body. And then I guess he gives him a karate chop, which is very chop sick to the neck. Very, very sixties. He pop, pops him in the gut, and then hammers him on the back of the neck with some kind of Kirk chop, and sends him down. And then slips away again. And I love that. I love how he thinks they will concentrate on my mother and that Stilgar fellow. She can handle him. He already knows. I must get to a safe vantage point where I can threaten them and give her time to escape. It's just instant. It's instant tactics between the two. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so fucking cool to see how it's executed. Um, and I mean, and it, you got to imagine, like, and we keep learning more about Paul, you know, what he shares, that he has Mintak capabilities, that he is that he mm-hmm. is also something with, filled with terrible purpose and has a prescience that no other party is really aware or, to its, you know, pow, full power of. Um, and then he also has Benny Gesserit training. Like, he's sure. got so many, you know, different schools coming together in him, and you're starting to see it paying off, for one, but I was going to say, too, like the structure of the book, I think, contributes to the action and the action working really well, just because, you know, what did we get to see? You know, we, we had established early on in the book that the Sardaukar hmm. are the, the, the people in the universe to be afraid of, that they are the badass enforcers, the direct enforcers of the, imperi- the, um, the emperor's will. Um, so you're like, OK, those are like the big fucking bads. The Harkonnens are bad, but it's really the strength of the Sardaukar that's going to give them, you know, this this victory potentially. And then how do we establish the strength of the Fremen? Like, how do you truly make that believable? You have them besting Sardaukar easily. Easily. And so you're like, you're like, OK, holy shit. Like, I was afraid of them the entire time up until now. Mm-hmm. And the Fremen are just whooping their ass. And now we get to see Jessica, the one and only Bene Gesserit we have in this book go into combat and you're like holy shit she's besting the fremen yes like, this is a great point a. this is a great point and and if we and if we drill further into that we know that you know maybe if you take maybe if you take the sardukar in uh, in in some sort of urban environment and you take the fremen in in an urban environment 
and you start them at opposite ends of this Hogan Alley type of scenario, maybe the starter car come on top most of the time. I don't know. But what we do know is when the Fremen do in the Sardukar, they take them completely by surprise with such speed in, in initiative that the Sardukar have no retaliation. They, they're defeated, in, in, much like this, they're defeated before it begins. Stilgar is defeated before he realizes what's happening. Right. And right. the Fremen were, def, were defeated the Sardukar before they realized what was happening. And in both instances, it's because of two things. Awareness. We have we have the aware and awareness is a big thing in these few chapters. Paul tripping his awareness and shit, but but really the awareness of the Fremen to know the desert, to know how they were going to surprise the Sardaukar, to know the terrain like the back of their hand. Something that I don't know is always stressed enough, um, but how important that is. And then. That, so there's that awareness. And then her awareness of knowing the perfect moment to move in on Stilgar. This, this awareness, this deception. You know, there's nothing, there's no, there's no pitched battles here. There are no fair fights, which is a, a quote that I think yeah. is, should always be very relevant to, to any book that takes its violence seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I, I fucking love the, just the idea of what she does with that, that, that feigned faint. For that yeah, moment there yeah. like what i what i totally picture is stilgar for a split second starting to do that thing where you're like you're surprised and you're tr- you're going Are you into okay help. yes yeah that, exactly that, uh like you're like oh wait and then and then in that second also realizing oh no she's gonna fucking attack me like he yeah. starts to see it coming but it's too fucking late she's yep. already got him yep uh I, that's just so cool like what mm-hmm. a great deceptive moment you're right it's it's perfect it's you know it's a beautiful a beautiful powerful statuesque woman and you know stilgar we know is taken with her and she just almost almost appears to be you know fallen over or succumbing and he's like just the instinct his instincts betrayed him right <laughs> and she caught him she <laughs> sucked him in <laughs> and uh, she she commands them to tell tell them to stop hunting my son, of course, because they're like, "Where's the boy? They can't find him. He's in the shadows." And you can still see everything that's going on. Considering awareness, there's a lot of awareness from Jessica here. She talks. She always talks about how how delicate beginnings are, and she says here, "This is a delicate moment, right? This is a very delicate moment. But if this man is as sharp minded as I think him, we have a chance." That is also going against the grain of what you'd consider. Most of the time, in lesser writing, the sentence would be, I hope he's as dull-minded as I'm thinking he is, so we have a chance, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's saying, I hope he's sharp-minded, because then we'll have a chance. I like that. She's hoping he's as clever as he appears to be, because that's going to matter in the end. Right. As she's got as she's got the uh, advantage on him, she's hoping he's smart enough to she, see that it's exactly. Yeah, to see that they shouldn't, you know, be fighting. Really. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whereas the easier writing is to say, well, I hope I can get past this dumb guard, right? <laughs> I hope right. he's not that smart and, and picks up on what I'm trying to do here. She's counting on his intelligence and his sharpness to see that this is over. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he starts to listen. <laughs> She's like, listen, if you can do this as strong of us, you're worth 10 times your weight in water. 
they, they start to negotiate here. They start to bargain. And I like that. We see Stilgar's like, I'm not, I don't want to die here. <laughs> like, what the hell? Back off, back off. He's telling them, listen, they got us. Just, just chill for a minute. And, uh, and that's when uh, they start talking about the Lisan al-Gaib and, and, uh, and what exactly they're going to do with these two now that they have Stilgar in a bad way. <laughs> exactly. I love the quote from Jessica. Now explain clearly to your people what it is you wish of me. I want no young hothead to make a foolish mistake. <laughs> it's so good. Such a good point, too, because they've already heard Jameis a couple of times, I think, mm-hmm. at this point. And, and she's, that's totally who she's speaking to out there. She's Absol- like, I know, I know who the fuck one of you is real pissed. <laughs> she <laughs> knows. She, she refers to him as having murder on his on, uh, death in his voice, right? And she connects him a couple of times. She knows that he has spoken more than once and knows she has, as you said, zero wit on who that is. But essentially, he talks about, Silgar says, well, listen, we move, kind of move between village and town and uh, we try to blend in with the grabbing folk so we don't carry weapons. And boy, this weirding way would be a real boon to us. Because Jessica's saying, okay, yeah, we can end this engagement. Jessica's thinking, we can end this engagement. You can say, oh, yeah, great, we need you. And then he goes, no, we don't need you, and he kills you <laughs> with a fucking <laughs> Mala right. pistol or something. But no, she wants him to come to the conclusion to what she can do for them, and he does. And he says, teach us this way. Yeah, This is it's a weapon. guarantee of their safety. Exactly. This is a weapon no search could expose. And um, he says, well, countenance for you and your son, meaning protection. It's funny. I've never countenanced that word to me has always meant, um, I've always imagined it as um, like appearance like and face. Yeah, like your demeanor almost. A facial expression. <laughs> there was this great yeah. card in the vampire, uh, this vampire card game called Horrific Countenance. And I always remember <laughs> that. It always stuck with me. But yeah, it also is, I guess, your somebody's safety or your keeping of them. That to be frank, it says uh, support is the just a, it's definition one: a person's face, face Christian definition two: support. Yeah, my support for you as well as your son, as it were. But, but where are we? Jessica's used to the Imperium. She's wondering, well, how do I know this is going to be? How how do I know you're going to keep this promise? And he's like, listen. When a man says a thing, that's the contract out here. That's the way it is. And she seems to be okay with that. Yeah. Except, you know, I mean, she even says there's safety in that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these people do have good communication and a message could be sent, though. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I think she believes Stilgar. I mean, she's already sized him up as well. You know, we already talked about that. And the fact that, that she understands there's a kind of a sense of command in his voice. That he is, you know, she even admits later that he kind of reminds her of her Duke. Yeah. Um, and I, and so I think she trusts him a little more because of that, like sees that he is intelligent. And ultimately she has the ultimate play here, which is, I suppose if they kill me, Paul will know everything he needs to know in that moment. That's a True. pretty wild way to think, man. <laughs> <laughs> she knows that her son can see everything that's going on. And that if she dies, he'll gain the necessary knowledge to, to know how to deal with these people. Yeah, it's pretty yep. in, pretty intense. He'll know after this. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, she says, "Listen, we don't. <laughs> we 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 meet Cheney. By the way, I like that he's calling people lizard turds and shit. 
But um, <laughs> we meet Cheney because Cheney happens upon Paul. And um, essentially, Jessica says, listen, Ben and Jezra don't break vows any more than you guys do. And that's when they go, whoa, Ben and Jezra, rich, which, I mean, this kind of goes around the room. The Fremen start to go, what is going on here? And this is where I love Jessica thinking, so our missionaria protectivi even planted religious safety valves all through this hellhole. Ah, well, it'll help. (laughs) And that's what it was meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot, this idea of that. And it's nice to see her getting a little insurance policy from it. Not to mention. (laughs) Exactly. She's getting a check cut right there. Like, oh, absolutely. Paying off. That and her studying with Kynes has paid off because Kynes taught her the name Stilgar and taught her C.H. Tabor. And and she knows C.H. Tabor because she connects the name to Stilgar. Because she says, perhaps when we get to C.H. Tabor, the revelation shook him. And Jessica thought, if only he knew the tricks we use. She must have been good, that Bene Gesserit of the Missionaria Protectiva. These Fremen are beautifully prepared to believe in us. <laughs> it's a great sentence. Want to talk about Paul's prescience having, you know, seeing some flaws, seeing mm. some weaknesses, and that's, his, you know, its view into the future. I'm like, the damn, the damn uh, Missionaria Protectiva by the Bene Gesserit is almost in, in action, in, in, you know, return on dividends. Uh, it's in the same realm of prescience. Like it's they've prepared fair. the future for themselves. It's fair. It's, it's, it's fair. fucking wild. Yeah, and you can always bang on that fault line as the beginning of the chapter tells us if you want to fucking change it a little too, I guess. <laughs> anyway, they chit-chat and they talk about how they have much to learn from one another and how Paul's passage was a bit sloppy. Uh, a lot of noise. They're not into noise. or stealthy people and uh, how they have to <laughs> learn some stuff. Big fans. Right, right, exactly. But, um, you know, Jessica realizes, as you said, she starts to realize something about these women. Now that the tension has lifted, she can allow herself to go from the immediacy of potential conflict to information gathering in a different way. Seeing the value of these people, the strength of these people, the discipline of these people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Is that something, uh, I don't think it's this chapter, but we, what one of the main things we learn about the Fremen is the way they've been trained is like military, like discipline, like every single person in the tribe. Well, yeah, that's something, that's something Jessica thinks about. She thinks about their discipline and how important that is. And it makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? How do you, how do you exist out here without discipline? Water discipline is something we hear a lot about. Water discipline is huge. It's everything because without it, you're toast in a couple of days. Right. Right. It's a major role. I like that um, we, we get a little bit of a description of Cheney. The figure in front of him turned into the moon's path, and he saw an elfin face, black pits of eyes, the familiarity of that face, the features out of numberless visions in his earliest prescience, shocked Paul to stillness. He remembered the angry bravado with which he had once described this face from a dream, telling the Reverend Gaius Helen Mohayim, I will meet her. And here was the face, but a no meeting he had ever dreamed. Awesome. Love it. Love it. So this is, the future was different. It was still different. Indeed. As Yoda would say, difficult to see. Always in motion is the future, right? (laughs) That's a really, it's one of the, one of the best lines that Yoda has. 
And it's so, and it makes so much sense when you think about it a little bit, you realize, yeah, the past is done. It's set. The future, it, it is always moving based on the present, isn't it? Right. Constantly shifting. Chani says, you're as noisy as a shy halud in a rage. And you took the most difficult way up here. Follow me. I'll show you an easier way down. I love, I love that they kind of go at Paul Little. They call him a man child. He gets a little butthurt about it. He doesn't like it. Obviously, he wants to, uh, he, he wants to feel. This is a guy who not that long ago was telling people how to address him as the Duke's son, and now he's being called a child. And we'll determine your name later, <laughs> right? These people don't care about that stuff. This yeah. is not Leah Kynes. This is not. Yeah, this is not the Imperium out here. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> to save one from a mistake is a gift of paradise. I like how Stilgar refers to this when talking about Jessica and how Jessica essentially saved him from making a mistake with them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That they, they are the ones that are being sought out, that right. Kynes told them to seek out. That's something we didn't talk about, actually, is that... Um, we got confirmation that the, uh, a bat gave them that message, which was the message from Kynes to be on the lookout for them. Mm. Yep. They attach the uh, kerchief of the baka. We realize that this is a, a religious term that means the weeper. Why should weeping unite them, she asked herself. We're going to find out. And um, I like that. I like that we're getting, they're, they're getting the full treatment. They're getting the full dances with wolf's treatment. Like, you're accepted. You're going to follow <laughs> us. The child man's going to stay out of trouble. We're going to teach him how not to be a slob out here. And, um, you know, w- w- Jessica kind of gives him a moment by saying, my son's been tested with the Gom Jabbar. And uh, the sentence which follows says, in the stillness that followed, she knew she had struck to the heart of them, meaning all of them. They all know what this means. <laughs> However, but then I... Yeah, yeah. This this is ironic. This this is going to be what leads to him getting into it a little bit later, right? <laughs> right. But also, I mean, he, even his answer he he doesn't reply to that. He says, "There's much we don't know of each other." Correct. We tarry. We tarry over long. A day mustn't find us in the open. Like he's just <laughs> like, I'm not even fucking gonna go to that. Like probably out of fear. I bet that she that she knows so much. I bet. Yep. Yep. But he he covers it well because he's a badass. So uh, they get moving uh, in squad line with flankers. They move out, and they're heading for the Cave of Ridges. They're looking to get there before dawn. Again, they move at night, right? This is the safest way to travel. Probably a lot to do with heat, <laughs> less heat. And uh, they realize there's about 40 Fremen in this situation. And they travel as a military company. I believe that's what you were talking about earlier. Right, right, that they, that they move in that way. Hmm. Even the girl, even the girl, Chani? Is it Chani or Chani? Chaney. Chaney? Yeah. Chaney. <laughs> but um, whenever she says, don't brush against a bush, lest you leave a thread to show your passion. It's just a thread. Yeah. <laughs> the idea it's, that anybody would even be on the lookout for indeed. that. Uh, one of the things that happens a lot in these chapters is them describing the 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 ruffling of their cloaks and stuff. Their, yeah. Uh, That's yeah. like the only sound. The only hear. sound you hear. It's neat. Mm-hmm. That's so fucking cool. The idea that there's all of these people moving as one and you could, you would, if you had your eyes closed, you would never know they were there. Yep. And, uh, and off they go to CH Tabor, which of course CH means uh, a meeting place in a time of danger. 
Which is interesting because I thought before this, CH was just a word for like a community. Right. And I, I think, I think we're learning it has multivaried, uh, the multivaried applications, right? Yeah. Because, it, because he says the, when he, when he ties the bakas, I believe they're called around their necks or bokas, I can't remember what they're called, baka, B-A-K-K-A. He's basically yeah. saying these indicate that you're in my CH. So it does have, in, in that moment, it might mean something a little bit different. But, um, but yeah, the profound implications of the word and the language is beginning to register with her after the tension of their encounter, I think is, is, is playing to your point, which is, is it, is it multivaried, this word? Does it have multiple meanings? Right. And I think mm. so. But yeah, this chapter closes with Jessica, you know, kind of marveling at the mm-hmm. fact that, okay, it, it worked. We're in, we are with the Fremen now, because that's something we should remember about this is Indeed. that this has, this has almost been kind of the best case scenario fantasy that they've had. They're like, we're, we're, everything's going to be okay. We're going to somehow hook up with the Freeman, with the Fremen in the desert. And that's how we're going to be all right. That's how we're going to make things right. Um, and she admits, you know, by the force of elation, she is able to still move, you know, she's exhausted from their journey. Um, but as she's watching the Fremen, you know, march out, she, she thinks all of them, an entire culture trained to military order. What a priceless thing is here for an outcast Duke. Indeed. That he has an army, a fucking army, kind of just ready to go. In, in, in the culture throttling. of it is something that's fascinating, right? We talked about this on the Lost Driving podcast with 300, obviously being largely kind of nonsensical, but fun. But, <laughs> but it did get us talking about the Spartan culture, didn't it? Right, right. Just this idea of this entire culture embedded in a, this soldierly way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings us, Matthew, to chapter 32. Yeah, your turn to read this one. Oh, boy. The Fremen were supreme in that quality the ancients called Spannens Bogen. Sounds very German. Yeah, I think it is. Which is the self-imposed delay between desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing. Spannings Bogen. Interesting. Uh, you would almost equate that with discipline? Yeah. Knowing the right moment to strike. Mm. Yeah. And wait, being able to wait for the right moment. Sure. And this is from the wisdom of Muadi. We know who that is now. By the Princess Irulan. Um, so they're still on their way. And a lot of this chapter is going to be uh, dialogue between a lot of the discussions actually going to be Jessica and Stilgar. Good stuff here that we're going to learn uh, some of the dreams of Stilgar that might actually be Leah Kynes' influence on this CH and probably many of the Fremen people themselves in toto, as it were. And uh, just some of the discussions about leadership and uh, there's just a lot, a lot here. There's a lot to discuss here. And, um, well, and especially Jessica's impressions of everything are really interesting and her, her thoughts on her own thoughts and how they're changing. I really like the, the, the part at the beginning where she notices a guard left outside. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. That's Paul. That's Paul. That is Paul. Um, fuck, that's totally Paul. I I completely thought that was Jessica. That's okay. But anyway, she still has plenty of stuff throughout this chapter. Right. But no, this is this is actually Paul's moment of realizing that he's already taking on their style of like guerrilla thinking, um, and he remembers his father's fear that the Atreides might become a guerrilla house, a house on the run. I remember that too, very um, distinctly. 
Yeah. And that's exactly what, where they're at now. And he realizes he's adopting it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, they, they, they're on the move. And Paul uh, has another observation that I really love here. He saw his mother come up on one side, saw her examine their companions, and he noted how she failed to blend in with Fremen, even though her garb was identical. The way she moved, such a sense of power and grace. Yeah. I love that. That shows Benny Jesuit training, royal training, confidence, the way she carries herself. She is a ducal concubine, was a ducal concubine. And it doesn't matter how much you dress up like the Fremen, you're still going to look different than them. And one of the things I like about it is how how Jessica gets a sense of grace here to not look like a sloppy fucking jabroni. She stands <laughs> out because she is so powerful and graceful, whereas they kind of are slinking along, right? Right, right. I like you got to imagine in one sense, it could be a bit of a liability. In, in, Absolutely. In, in they value so much the ability to all move together so cohesively and in the same way and without standing out um, that like that could be something that they would they would not value as much as Paul. I would agree, and he might not even be valuing it. He might just be observing that this is the truth. That's true. That's true. right. Um, and and and, it, and and this gets into what we were talking about earlier, which is Paul's growing ability to see that. That's not easy to see. It's not yeah. easy to watch people move covered in head to toe in a steel suit and various robes and be able to pick out, observe the power and grace of that one. That one's different. Yeah. Yeah. To pluck them out. Hmm. <laughs> but um, this brings us to a moment where Stilgar wants to show Jessica something. And um, they, they, they get to this area where they say, get the door, door seal in place and see to the moisture security. I like this. And they get some glow globes together. And uh, he takes her arm and says, right this way, weirding woman. <laughs> weirding woman. <laughs> and uh, they head down to this basin about 10 or 12 kilometers wide, I guess it's described as. And um, she says, it's because we want to hold it back, she thought. Night is safer than day. There came... There came over her, her then a longing for a rainbow in this place that would never see rain. I must suppress such longing, she thought, their weakness. I can no longer afford weakness. Yeah, the sun's starting to come up over the horizon a little bit. And her having this whimsical moment of imagining the sun coming up over the horizon and wishing she could see a rainbow and starting to equate that type of thinking with weakness. That's, that's a woman trying to prepare herself as much as she can to survive in, in a difficult situation by purging even hopeful thoughts, right? Right, right. Because that's a, that's a distracting softness. And you're like, sure. yeah, they can't, you can't have that taking space in your brain. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, he points out these uh, drususes, I believe they're called. And he, he says, look, there's people on the basin floor scattered. They're looking through binoculars and uh, Stilgar basically just says, this, that's home. We'll be there this night. And um, they get to talking a little bit here. They, they talk about the people working. And she starts thinking as he's talking, this guy's a leader. He, he is interested in preservation of his tribe. He, he, it is important for him to be strong. And she just says, point blank, have I compromised your leadership by besting you? Like she yeah. is curious. She wants to know. 
Now, there's two reasons I think she wants to know. I think she is fond of Stilgar, and she also wants to make sure that the the most powerful advocate that they have isn't compromised according to the tribe, right? That's dangerous right. for her and Paul. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, they, they she feels like she can trust Stilgar at this point, but not necessarily the rest of the tribe. <laughs> exactly. But one thing I, I like that Stilgar points out here about their confrontation is where he's like, I'd advise you uh, against this because they'd not follow you. You're not of the sand. They saw this in our night's passage. That meaning, I love meaning, the idea, yeah, yeah, exactly. Meaning that they wouldn't follow her even if she did completely best and kill Stilgar in battle because she's not of the sand. Like at the end of the day, they're like, that still matters. Like it, it doesn't change mm. the fact that we, we wouldn't throw out the safety of our tribe just because you killed our leader. Like, I like that they're not that dogmatic. That it's it's, it's like, very pragmatic, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. I love the pragmatism here. I love the ability to go, well, yeah, that's how it works. But also, what's the most important thing for the leader to do is keep the safety of the tribe in check. And if he dies, and that means you take over, then the whole tribe is jeopardized, and we're just not going to let that happen. <laughs> we're just not going to do that. Like, fuck mm. that rule. Fuck exactly. that rule that time. Who cares? Exactly. <laughs> and uh we know our needs he he sort of he reminds her we know our needs we're not many are thinking deep thoughts now this close to home i love that uh, that shows they're people the fremen yeah. despite their hardness are people they're not thinking deeply they're thinking of home that's it they've been ranging for a long time and it's time <laughs> and we learn a little bit about a how shall we say a deal with the guild, <laughs> right? Yeah. We bribe the guild with a monstrous payment and spice to keep our skies clear of satellites and such that none may spy what we do to the face of Arrakis. So part of this whole ranging, Matt, was, was, to, was, was for this. And she's thinking, what, what could you possibly not want them to see? <laughs> and he starts in on this incredible stuff. Absolutely. We change it slowly but with certainty to make it fit for human life our generation will not see it nor our children nor our children's children nor the grandchildren of their children Hmm. but it will come open water and tall green plants and people walking freely without still suits and that's That's what what kinds wanted exactly (laughs) yep kinds wanted to terraform arrakis and what i like about this is we see Jessica's wisdom here. It supersedes Stilgar's, doesn't it? Because yeah. Jessica understands this game more than a Fremen, more than a Fremen who has this vision which may cloud his wisdom, right? She knows how the guild operates. She knows how the Harkonnen operates much better than these people do. These people have their strengths here. She has her strength and it's here. And she says, bribes are dangerous. They grow larger and larger. They grow, he says, but the slow way is the safe way. And uh, that's, that's something we've heard before, the slow way being the safe way. Uh, and, but she does have a point. You have to be very careful if you get into bed with these people. <laughs> because if this becomes so important to you, which clearly it is. So uh, I think it's important for Silgar to realize, and, and maybe Jessica will tell him at some point, you understand that it's very important that they never find out how important this is to you because if so, they have all the power over you. Yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yep. Um, 
I, I like how she uh, she thinks she sees Fremen riding a worm <laughs> as a mirage. Yeah, she thinks it's a mirage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not like, a okay, mirage. I'm not, I'm not seeing that. And I love how just matter-of-factly he's like, it would be better to ride, but we cannot permit a maker into this basin. Thus, we must walk again tonight. What did and you think sh- of that? This, this had to have been a surprise for you, thinking they ride these goddamn things. This was. I wish it were even more of a surprise because I still kind of remember that from the Dune movie, okay, the yeah, David Lynch yeah. Dune movie. Yeah. Um, but I was still surprised by how abruptly that fact was dropped um, mm. and that they're just like, oh, yeah, we ride worms. Like, whatever. They're a maker. We ride them. We permit them and don't permit them in and out of basins, evidently. That's something they just fucking do. Yeah. I love how Jessica just has to process all of this for a minute. Like, holy shit. Like, you guys get on those? There's a couple of great moments of that in in this chapter and the next chapter. Actually, no, it's the it's the chapter it's thirty chapter thirty four, which I don't want to spoil. But um, just these revelations we see this this time and again. Uh, this is just such good writing. Is <laughs> him? It wouldn't he wouldn't think to lessen the blow of this knowledge to her because he's they've been doing it forever. It's, it's well, second nature to them. Right. And actually, you know what? On that point, I almost forgot. I almost went past it. But the thing that did surprise me about it, um, because all I could remember from the movie was Paul riding a worm, like that that happened at some point. Um, but I didn't know it was something that just like regular Fremen did, that it was yeah. like a commonly accepted, like just a common activity among the Fremen that they get around on on the backs of, of the sandworms sometimes. The, the, yeah, the earliest indication of this were those hooks that they were like, what are those hooks for? Remember those yeah. big long poles with hooks a couple chapters mm-hmm. back? But um, I love how we, I love the, uh, I love this term, uh, my hands tasted your loveliness. Oh man. Ooh. Ooh, still, uh, oof. I love how she's like, there will be enough of that. <laughs> she just straightens him right out. And he's That's like, no, no, royalty. no, no offense. Women among us are not taking against their will. And with you, even that convention isn't required. <laughs> See, now that is some smooth operator shit. That last part right there. Yeah. Because he, he snuck in a, a very nice compliment about actually, yeah, you know, you're fucking badass. Exactly. Like, exactly. I, I know I don't need to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will karate chop my neck. But, um, and she, you know, she's like, I'll keep him on his duke lady. She's like, of course, of course. And then they move past this a little bit. A little bit of silence falls between them. And Jessica starts to think about this, doesn't she? Does he need a wife? She realized she could step into that place with him. No problem. And he would be happy to have that. And, and I, like, I like a person going through the permutations of what options are available to them to increase their yeah. chances of survival. So fucking realistic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Like that, I mean, that's literally like how I think and process things sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. that's what I loved about the way her thoughts are sometimes laid out in this book because I'm like, that's genuinely the same path that my thoughts take as I sit there and start to think about like, well, what if I do this and how would that, what would that look like? How does that benefit me? What is that? Just the way she Mm -hmm. analyzes. I'm like, that's how thoughts work. Like it it mimics thoughts so well. Absolutely. And she even thinks about it from a, almost a, a, a political, for lack of a better world, word uh, standpoint, you know, uh, could, could, it, could it end conflict over tribal leadership? Female aligned with a male? What happens to Paul? What happens to the Duke's daughter? What's going on? Like, she, she runs through the permutations. Yeah, exactly. 
But uh, I like how he glances, she glances at him and, and, and realizes he's staring at her, studying her, as it were. A daughter born here to a woman went to such a one as this man. What would be the fate of such a daughter, she asked herself. Would he try to limit the necessities that a Benny Jesuit must follow? And I like how Stilgar kind of clears his throat here and says, what is important for a leader is that which makes him a leader. If uh, it is the needs of his people, if you teach me your powers, there may come a day when one of us must challenge the other, I would prefer some alternative. And um, that's when she says there are several. We learn about an exciting new job opportunity. Yeah, the Sayadina. Oh, (laughs) our reverend mother, their reverend mother. She's like, what the hell? So he's almost suggesting if you, what about, you want the job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're you beautiful and desirable, this? no question about it. And um, yeah. and this would put her, and I, but like, what I find so interesting about him suggesting this mm-hmm. is that it puts her in a better position of safety. Like he wants that for her. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and he doesn't want the young bucks getting wild, right? Dude, yeah. The way he says this, <laughs> it might lead some of my young men to believe that I'm too much concerned with pleasures of the flesh. If you wanted, if, if this is, if you wanted to marry her, um, and not enough concerned with the tribe's needs, even now they'd listen to us and watch us. Hmm. I love how he there. refers to this as the age of wild spirits. <laughs> is that called adolescence? <laughs> it's called rumspringa. Rumspringa for the, uh, Arakeen. <laughs> Uh, a leader you see is one of the things that distinguishes. This is a great quote. A leader you see is one of the things that distinguishes a mob from a people. He maintains the level of individuals. Too few individuals and people revert to a mob. It's great. <laughs> great shit from Stilgar. Yeah. Yeah. Very aware of, of like not only just the needs of his tribe, but like the temperament of the mm-hmm. tribe and, and how they're feeling, where they're at, where the morale is. Yep. It's great. I love that idea of, 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 they do become a mob without a strong leader. They, they, they stop being, they, they start pushing this weird, they, they stop thinking for themselves, so to speak. The leader allows them to do that, it's, which almost seems counterintuitive, but it's not. It makes sense with the way Silgar explains it. Yeah. And uh, she is really kind of taken aback at this point. She even mm. thinks his words, the depth of their awareness, the fact that he spoke as much to her as to those who secretly listened, forced her to reevaluate him. Yeah, exactly. Looking more and more like a husband material. That's what she's thinking, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what but, is his ancestry? She's wondering about ancestry. Uh, absolutely. absolutely, man. She's getting all Crusader Kings on him. What kind of alliances <laughs> am I going to get here? Okay. But he basically says, you know, I want a friendship with you, which doesn't demand the huddlings of sex, so to speak. And um, right. that's when they start talking Sayadina. And uh, when they're not formal leaders, hold a special place of honor. They may in the strength, maintain the strength of God. And that's when she's like, I now must probe this Reverend Mother mystery, she thought. You spoke of your Reverend Mother, and I've heard words of legend and prophecy. It is said that a Bene Gesserit and her offspring hold the key to our future, he said. And that's when she is like, you have got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> <laughs> This is turning up this all Millhouse. Turning up all yeah. Jess uh, turning up all Jessica here. Somebody <laughs> turned this back down to easy mode. Shit. Like they just <laughs> got it laid out for them. Yep. And uh but yeah, she she notes he's honorable. She can tell in, in talking to him. She wants a sign from me, but he'll not tip fate by telling me the sign. Right? He's he's hinting he's hinting around this Benny Jesuit discussion. And um 
her mind starts to drift to, I love the sudden feline prudence, but um, she knew the cant of the missionary protectiva, knew how to adapt the techniques of legend and fear and hope to her emergency needs, but she sensed wild changes here. As though someone had been in among these from and capitalized on the missionary protectiva's imprint, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone has already come before mm. and been in a similar position as to her and had to use, had to employ the legends of the missionary protectiva. Indeed. Which yep. reinforced them in some, in almost like in a meta way, like they're using... Yeah. They're, they're not just using the terms of the legends that the Missionaria Projectiva injected. They're using Bene Gesserit terms. Like, they're using them outright, um, mm-hmm. which, is, which I think is pretty interesting. And it makes you wonder how it has been used already. And she decides, I'm going to throw this guy a bone here, and I'm going to dump the word adab on him. <laughs> she whispers it. Her mind felt as though it had rolled over within her. She recognized the sensation with a quickening of pulse. Nothing in all the Benedictine carries such a signal recognition. It could only, it, it could be only the adab, the demanding memory that comes upon you of itself. She gave herself up to it, allowing the words to flow from her. And she just starts in. Ibn Kurtaiba, as far as the spot where the dust ends. She stretched out an arm from her robe, seeing Silgar's eyes go wide. She heard a rustling of many robes in the background. I see a Fremen with the Book of Examples, she intoned. He reads to Al-Lat, the son whom he defied and subjugated. He reads to the Sadus of the trial, and this is what he reads, and this is this whole long thing. But she just pulls this out of nowhere with this Adab command. It just takes, boom. It just, it just germinates right there in her mind. Yeah. yeah. And blows, blows Silgar's mind away. This is everything. We, this is all of the missionary protectiva stuff coming to a head here. <laughs> Absolutely, and th- this is when you know he essentially bows to her, and, yeah. he, and they, they had been talking about the tests for Sayadina, and then he just starts calling her Sayadina. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If the Shai Halud grant, then you may yet pass within to become a reverend mother. Pass within, she thought, an odd way of putting it but the rest of it fitted into the cant well enough. I love this next moment from her. She felt a cynical bitterness at what she had done. Our missionaria protectiva seldom fails. A place <laughs> was prepared for us in this wilderness. The prayer of the Salat has carved out our hiding place. Now I must play the part of Alia, the friend of God, Sayadina to rogue peoples who've been so heavily imprinted with our Bene Gesserit soothsay. They even call their chief priestess Reverend Mothers. That is fucking wild. Yeah. They're so imprinted. (laughs) They're (laughs) so imprinted. They're using Bene Gesserit terms. Like, that's part of their their culture now. It's interesting Um, because I wonder if the missionary protectiva agents of the time knew that that was going to be the case or if this just sort of grew, if the legend grew so strong after the after the 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 seeds were planted that the Fremen just took them and ran with them better than they could have expected yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um but dude Aliyah, i looked it up in the uh in the appendix um in the zunsani wanderer's religion the female at the left hand of god god's handmaiden that's Aaliyah the, the of part. the knife right um i think so yeah. but it doesn't say that back here no no but yeah but no it's good shit mm 
the idea that she is the, she is God's handmaiden on the left side of him. Yep. Implies there's a right hand to be filled. And meanwhile, uh, my main man, Paul's getting blitzed. He's getting fucking barbecued and he's all zooted <laughs> on the spice. <laughs> all fucking blown back. He thinks terrible purpose. Uh, it's in the food, right? <laughs> yeah, that's He's trying to still the tempest within him. His mother's words had locked onto the working of the spice essence. So not only, it, it's just one of those things where you're like, dude, I'm having a crazy trip right now, and mom's like magic spell words are really tweaking me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when that Benny Gesserit witch starts mumbling. Yeah. I got a black magic woman. <laughs> got a black magic woman. <laughs> but I do. I love some of the description here. It's, it's um, awesome when he says, uh, "You know, looking into this new sense of his prescience and, and seeing time the way he is now." He says, "A boiling of possibilities focused here in this, you know, in, in this place where him and his mother are, mm. where, wherein the most minute action, the wink of an eye, a careless word, a misplaced grain of sand, moved a gigantic lever across the known universe. He saw violence with the outcome, subject to so many variables that his slightest movement created vast shiftings in the pattern. Like, I love that. I love the idea that he's already sort of <laughs> looking so at else. an." at an end but just seeing like the all the paths to getting there are mm-hmm. just keep keep changing but the Man, ending is staying the same i gotta be honest the movie's gonna struggle to to visualize this isn't it i was thinking that i was thinking this i was gonna wondering how they're gonna do it i th- i think villeneuve could pull it off but yeah i am very intrigued about like how are you going to visualize prescience i think some of it they're gonna just have to they're gonna just have to dump in the favor of the visual medium, but they'll have to do some of it. They'll have to do some. They'll have yeah. to show that he has that power. I love how early in the chapter, speaking of when they were talking about the Gam Jabbar and Paul like felt his hand tingle. <laughs> like geez, that memory is just so ingrained in his brain. <laughs> Countless yeah. consequences. Lions fanned out from this cave and along most of those consequences lines. He saw his own dead body with blood flowing from a gaping knife wound. Oh, hmm. uh. Not the endings you want to be peeking at. Come on, Paul. You're so goth. <laughs> I'm just, have a brighter outlook, my I'm boy. I'm just fucking dead. <laughs> and no matter what I do, I'm fucking dying. I'm just fucking, we're all dead. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Him just chewing on that, that spice-soaked food next to Chaney. Yeah. Chaney. He's just like, we're all fucking dead. No Mean, matter what. Meanwhile, his mom's like, om nam shivai, om nam shivai. <laughs> he just doesn't know what. He's just tripping bad. It's a bad day for Paul. <laughs> Uh, and Cheney's done this before, and she's just rolling her eyes at it, like, "Ugh, she's like, yeah, you can't spice. Hand- she's like, you can't handle your trip, dude." <laughs> can't she's like, she's like the shaman. Man. She's supposed to be guiding him through the ayahuasca. That's funny. <laughs> All right, let's make our way over to chapter thirty-three, Matthew, which of course is let's see, page three eighty in my book. How about you? In my book, that is four eighty. Awesome. All right, this will be our. Uh, our last one for the night, so hit me. All right. My father, the Padishah Emperor, was 72, yet looked no more than 35, the year he encompassed the death of Duke Leto 
and gave Arrakis back to the Harkonnens. He seldom appeared in public wearing other than a Sardaukar uniform and a Bursegg's black helmet with the Imperial Lion in gold upon its crest. The uniform was an open reminder of where his power lay. He was not always that blatant, though. When he wanted, he could radiate charm and sincerity, but I often wonder in these later days if anything about him was as it seemed. I think now he was a man fighting constantly to escape the bars of an invisible cage. You must remember that he was an emperor, fatherhead of a dynasty that reached back into the dimmest history. But we denied him a legal son. Was this not the most terrible defeat a ruler ever suffered? My mother obeyed his sister superiors where the Lady Jessica disobeyed. Which of them was the stronger? History already has answered. Hmm, that's the most illuminating shit we've gotten about the Padishah Emperor to this point. Yeah. Hmm. He was never given a son. I've abandoned my boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I've abandoned my girls. (laughs) The Sister Superiors decided, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mom obeyed, whereas Lejica did not. Very interesting. But I find it interesting that uh, the Emperor was in the exact opposite position as as the Duke Leto when it comes to child rearing. That the that the um, well, actually, maybe I'm getting this wrong. But anyways, it sounds like um, his wife obeyed what she was told by her the Bene Gesserit sisterhood to do. Correct, and um, Jessica did not. Right, and and so the, it was the yeah, I do have this right. So the Bene Gesserit did not want the Emperor to have a son. Right, and Indeed. they. They were they were purposefully doing that, yeah. and it sounds like they. I guess they didn't want that for for the Duke either, though, did they? No. Yeah. They just don't give out sons. They just don't let that shit happen. They got a very specific plan. <laughs> but uh, Jessica wakes up in this cave uh, where we last left off, and uh, she realized that um, she was tired. She kind of permitted herself the utterly relaxing sleep of great fatigue and uh, suggesting something of her own unconscious assessment on personal security within Stilgar's group. In other words, felt safe enough to go to sleep. Feel safe with Stilgar. Right. And she's a little, almost chastising herself for feeling so safe. Indeed. And maybe she should. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) Because she wakes to, well... After thinking about a few things of what was eaten and what's going on, and and uh, she realizes that uh, there's a bit of a commotion going on, isn't there? Right, with Paul kind of at the center of it. Indeed. Abrupt fear shot through Jessica as her senses awakened to the tensions visible in the people gathered around Paul, gathered around Paul. The stiff movements, the ritual positions. They have my countenance, Stilgar rumbled. So uh, she wakes up to something going wrong. Perhaps these guests are not welcome, or perhaps something wild is about to get down. And essentially what we have is Jameis, mm-hmm. right? Jameis, the man Paul bested, we learned. By the way, the man that Paul punched with that jab in the gut and then the chop to the neck was Jameis. Exactly. Man, the man with death on his voice is Jameis. And here Jameis sits again. And Jameis is telling Silgar about the rules. Yeah. And he's saying, I choose combat. Imagine wiping the dusties out of your eyes and your son's surrounded and you hear shouting and and you just hear the word combat. You hear the word, I choose combat. Boy, oh boy. 
Not good. You That's just a thought, sobering moment. <laughs> <laughs> you just thought everything had evened out. You felt safe enough to go to bed. <laughs> and then you awaken to this with your son being challenged to a death match. Dune, a, a novel of extremes, right? She <laughs> goes from feeling embarrassingly safe, let's say, to, oh my God, are we fighting? <laughs> <laughs> my sons could, could die. And basically he's saying, James is demanding the right to test your part in the legend. Uh, right? And uh, that she need no champion from the Fremen, which can only mean the sun. So she cannot have a champion amongst the Fremen, not according to the rule. Yeah. So Stilgar or somebody else can't step in. Right, right. Because she's still not of the tribe yet. Mm. They've just kind of taken her under their wing. Right. And, uh, you know, he... Jameis... Jameis is pushy here, but he seems to know the rules, doesn't he? He does. And, dude, I actually really like the way Jameis calls out Stilgar in this moment. Me too. there is something sharp about it. Like, I like that, you know, the rest of the Fremen aren't, you know, just, like, mindless goons that fall in with the leader. Like, you, you, I, I was worried a little bit about how the Fremen would be portrayed if they're so indomitable that maybe they would be kind of, like, monolithic and there's not a Indeed. lot of personality among them. But I love that all of them are are on their toes and paying attention, um, because Jameis says you'll not tell us our ways when he when he's you know barking back at Stilgar, not without more proof than I've seen. You know they were all wowed by Jessica saying the the prayer. Indeed. But he goes on he goes on to say Stilgar could have told you what to say last morning. He could have filled your mind full of the coddle, and you could have bird talked it to us, hoping to make a false way among us. I love bird talked. <laughs> bird talked I, I want to use that going forward i think that's such good. a good expression <laughs> it is good it's a really good expression uh of course jessica immediately thinks well i could just take him yeah <laughs> i can kick his ass but again she wondered <laughs> at the way the missionary protective's work had been twisted on this planet we already know that sometimes sometimes you know we just spent time earlier saying wow is this working out better than expected and now she's thinking, well, maybe not. Maybe I should be careful not to press the advantage too much, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, she, because she doesn't know how the legend is fully interpreted among them. She doesn't know what they even expect of her right now. So anything that she does could, could violate what she's supposed to do within the legend and fuck this all up. Now, part of me wonders, is Jameis fighting off a bruised ego here because he got dropped by Paul? And he's pretty sure. <laughs> he, he's upset about that, saying there is a witch force at Tuono Basin, and I'll prove it now. And Stilgar <laughs> starts in on him, starts talking shit about him, trying to get him to put the anger on him. And of course, Stilgar, Jameis rumbles, but it's not going to work, is it? Dude. Yeah. You named him a man. All the excuses they're trying to use to Paul... He's saying, but wait a minute, you told him he was tested you you told me he was tested by the Garmin Jabbar. You told me he's a man. You you what do you mean? His mother says he's been through it. He's full fleshed. He's sure fit of water. He's water fat, for fuck's sake. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And it is true, like he accuses them of having multiple leader Johns of water, um, and, and she does admit to it. And I love when they question her, what was intended with this wealth? I love it. I love it. <laughs> wealth, she thought. Uh, dude, yeah. the idea of that. <laughs> Where I was born, water fell from the sky and ran over the land in wide rivers. I like how people gasp at this. 
that this is another one of those things. Like so often we're seeing Jessica realize just how things are not thought of by her that are thought of by them, right? How he casually talks about riding worms. She's like, what the fuck? And how she just says, waterfall from the sky, we had rivers. And I'm like, what the fuck? I just like how we continuously see how they are learning about each other's cultures in a very fascinating and succinct way with, with, with sharp writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that she's honest here. Like mm. that, that she, that she puts forth this foot of like, I d- actually don't know better. <laughs> like I, it, it's true. I was in a place where it was water rich. I don't know how to think like this. Right. I yeah, absolutely. But, um, James is like, well, you can't buy us off of the water, nor will, your, nor will you anger me against yourself, Silgar. He's not stupid. I see you trying to make me call you up before I've proved my words. Yeah. He wants and, him to move his call out from, from Paul and his mother to, to himself, to Stilgar. That's what Stilgar wants. Right. I invoke the Amtal rule, he says. It's my right. Well, and I wonder what exactly that rule is that if somebody bests you, you have the right to challenge them again or something. Or, or, or perhaps it has, some, it seems to supersede countenance, right? It, maybe yeah. it has to do with being surprised. You know, maybe he, maybe Paul took the initiative and maybe, maybe, maybe Amtal is a way to right the wrong of, say, getting sucker punched and put down. <laughs> right. They didn't square off, right? Paul just reacted and, and popped them and, and got away kind of thing. Ooh. According to the uh, ter- terminology of the Imperium Appendix, Amtal or Amtal rule, a common rule on primitive worlds under which something is tested to determine its limits or defects, commonly testing to destruction. Oh, that's perfect then. So what he's doing is, is he's, he's, he's invoking the Amtal rule to ensure to that Jessica. both of these, yes, and, and Paul will be the champion. He wants to test Jessica. Right, right. To That's ensure if this person is going to be Sayadina, like, hold on a second here. And Jameis has a point. He's like, wait yeah. a minute. This lady's going to be our reverend mother just because you said so? Because <laughs> she, you know, writhed around and said the, said the a charm. Said silly prayer. <laughs> yeah, she said the charm of making. That's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, this starts to get, get contentious, and it starts to lead in one way. There's a collision course coming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, mm. he is not taking no for an answer, not taking any sort of buy-off. And, and Jessica's, Jessica's awareness of him is excellent. I should have seen that before. He broods. He's the silent kind, one who works himself up inside. I should have been prepared. <laughs> she overlooked something. And, and something simple, right? Yeah. I guess she didn't yeah. expect it to explode into such violence. <clears throat> right. I think that's got to be a cultural thing as well. That she sure. is just, you know, we even heard Tuek the smuggler. That was his name, by the way, Tuek. Tuek, I yeah. finally remember that shit. Um, but Tuek the smuggler was talking, when he was talking to Gurney about, like, you might not like the razor-thin line between life and death out there with the Fremen. Sure. Um, like, I, I remember that line ever since he, you know, he said it. Um, and that's what I'm thinking about now, of, like, that's another variable in understanding their culture that I think Paul and Jessica are not ready for. They don't think that things can become life or death that fast. Sure. Um, and that, that, that there are ways to just challenge somebody and force them into putting their life on the line. Right. Right. That's a good point. So, um, well, <clears throat> Paul steps forward and says, let me explain. And he's like, explain. 
I like how he just says, You're, you don't tell us our ways. What do you think you know? You don't explain yeah. anything, basically. But Paul has this vision again. And Stilgar reminds him, Sayadini, you must step back now. And, and he gets mad. He's like, stop calling her that. That's yet to be proved. So there's your Amtal. <laughs> so what if he, she knows the prayer? Every child among us knows it. And, and Jessica's like, well, he's talked enough. I have the key to him. Again, she has the word on him. She could fucking immobilize him with a word. But I can't stop them all. Again, has the power to stop James in his tracks and the wisdom not to try to use it. Now, this is another thing. I wanted to bring this up to you. I thought, is this another aspect of the Missionaria Protectiva here that has kind of mutated beyond maybe what they ever intended when she's threatening Jameis to kind of, for one, to try and get him off guard, but she is, I think, genuinely threatening him when she's upset about, you know, Paul being in such danger. She's, you know, threatening Jameis saying, I'll teach you agony. Remember that as you fight, you'll have agony such as will make the Gam Jabbar a happy memory by comparison. You will writhe with your entire. And then Jameis interrupts her. She tries a spell on me. He put his clenched right fist beside his ear. I invoke the silence on her. I, I think was like, she's using the voice on him to fucking get in his head. Yeah. And I was like, dude, do they, are they aware of the voice? He talks about invoking the silence to like stop her from speaking. I, I would imagine he knows because of the missionaria protectiva. Yeah. I think that's the, the, yeah. I think the point you're making is absolutely correct, but I do like the power of the voice and he's like, Oh my God, he could, f- but he can feel it. Yeah. But you know, you know what it, you know what it is. <laughs> this gets, this reminds me of lost drive when we just covered a few good men. It doesn't matter if you object. The jury's already heard it. Yeah, yeah. You're striking from the record. Okay. Sure. It's striking from the record, but it's in my head. Yeah. Can't and, I mean, it. And you, Jessica's pretty intimidating, come to find out. So that's going to writhe on your, in, that's going to writhe in your consciousness. <laughs> Dude, I just want to see somebody in court scream, I invoke the silence. <laughs> Put a fist near your ear. I invoke it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But uh, if you speak, uh, your your witchcraft and you'll be forfeit, which sounds terrible for her. <laughs> yeah, forfeit, that's got to be a euphemism. If you speak again, we'll know it's your witchcraft. Yeah. So, uh, well, the crowd starts to form around them, doesn't it? This is that moment where you're at the Circle K after school and you're like, I guess we're fighting. <laughs> I guess we're fighting. Guess Here we go. I mean, everyone's here, man. They bought tickets. So what do you say? See how it goes for a few? <laughs> <laughs> Throw a couple punches, maybe cry. Leave <laughs> And uh, they strip him down. They get him, get him ready to go in a ring. No still suit. You're going to sweat it out. That shows you how, that shows you something about this engagement. You're sweating. You're, you're dumping your life force out. And, uh, that's a good point in right? their culture that's that's that really is taking it another notch like seriously like you're not even pres- going to get to preserve your water in this nope. you're you are taking this on absolutely and um you know jika considers that paul's been trained in prana and bindu the nerve and the fiber he'd been taught fighting in a deadly school duncan idaho gurney halleck i mean legendary teachers you said something in the beginning of this podcast in one of the first ep- couple episodes where you talked about Paul and our early perception of Paul had so much to do with the men around him, right? Do you remember yeah. saying that? And I think oh. that really is a good point that comes through here now because, boy, it's time for 
all of that to see if it really plays out into something actionable, which is life and test. Right. Right. And it's just cool to see that, like we got to see him have a lesson in sword fighting Mm -hmm. earlier in the book. We got to watch him be taught like to be conscious of the blade, to be, to be thinking in this certain way. And now we get to see him in action. We get to see that truly be tested for the first time. Mm. Indeed. On his own. And um, yeah, they when in doubt, they go they go bare feet. They go. Uh, Cheney gives actually gives a little bit of a tip on the fighting. She's lost, she's watched the tapes. You know, she has UFC fight pass. She saw she's seen all of Jameis's fights. Yeah, <laughs> and she knows <laughs> that he turns to the right with his knife after a parry. So he has this tendency to sort of dip right after he successfully blocks something, and um, he'll aim for the eyes which just sounds pretty effective in knife fighting. And he's also ambidextrous. So uh, either hand, look out for a knife shifting. So James has yeah. a few tricks up his sleeve, which of course Paul now knows. Yeah, absolutely. But then the other interesting thing about this, the other the stumbling block for Paul is both Jessica and Paul realize that all of his training, all of his formal sword training mm. was based off of having a shield. Um, and his, you know, we, 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 we talked about that earlier on the idea of being slow on attack and fast on defense. Indeed. That is total opposite of unshielded knife fighting. You want to be fucking fast, especially on an attack. Sure. Um, and so Paul, you know, he almost has like an involuntary movement to, to defend himself vigorously and, and really quickly, but then his attacks are sort of hesitant and that gives, you know, Jameis this moment to get away. Yes. And I love how culturally that even takes on a meaning because, you know, the rest of the Fremen and even Stilgar saying it out loud to Jessica is like, he's fucking toying with him. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he doing that? Why is he fainting that he's going to attack and letting him get away and then, and, and then, you know, defending himself very well and then fainting another attack? Like, this is getting mean. Yeah, <laughs> like, this is being absolutely. shitty. Um, if, if I, I can, love that. I love that too. If I can back you up just a hair because I want to get into Paul's psyche. One of the things, uh, one, one of the things we were saying a, a ahead of this was, we already know the training. We we talked about this last chapter. We talked about how simply Stilgar was taken by Jessica, and it might not necessarily be because of some sort of superior martial training, but because she noticed something and seized on the initiative. That shows a certain mentality, and I think mentality is very important when it comes to conflict, physical conflict. There's a mentality that really really does mean something and um and i like that here i like that paul is described as fear coursed through paul he felt suddenly alone and naked standing in a dull yellow light within this ring of people prescience had fed his knowledge with countless experiences hinted at the strongest currents of the future and the strings of decision that guided them but this was the real now (laughs) this was death hanging on an infinite number of minuscule mischances. That's oh, awesome. That's saying so all of your theory is for naught because this is the now. And what, what did we learn from, uh, at the end of last episode that the most persistent principles of the universe were accident <laughs> and error? Indeed. <laughs> your Indeed. chances, your, your chances are truly chances. It's in, 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 it is, you know, you, you hear about this in so many, so many different sports, combat sports. It's huge. It's, you know, he's undefeated until he isn't. 
Yeah, you know, it catches, in, in, catches in, one wrong. Exactly. It's it's a it's a stumble. It's a whatever. It could be a and, and I like how they how they sort of reduce this to the ridiculous here by saying it could be a cough in the troop, a distraction, a glow glow brilliance like the variation, a deceptive shadow. Could be anything throwing you off. That's why concentration is vital. But uh, he he remembers that fear is the mind killer, and it was like a cool bath washing over him, and he was ready to go. You know, he doesn't talk shit. Jameis talks shit. He's like, I'll sheathe my knife in your blood and stuff. I think he says, well, you'll have to find it first or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, I like you. You already talked about the shield fighting and they go, they go back and forth for quite a while. And um, it, it, we realize that Paul gets to a point where he asks Jameis to yield. <laughs> and Stilgar's yeah. like, he doesn't know our rule, does he? There's no yielding in the Tahadi challenge. Death is the test of it. <laughs> Paul swallowed hard then, didn't he? <laughs> For fucking sure. But I love that. I love the ever honorable Paul. I mean, it's definitely Indeed. just a part of his training. That is a part of his formal training to ask the opponent to yield. Um, but yeah, that he would still do that. But again, mm. in, in the terms of the Fremen culture, they see that as more like di- a dickery, like assholishness. Like, sure. Why are you fucking with him? Why are you asking him to yield? Why are you teasing him on your attack? Like, what Indeed. the fuck is this? Yeah, You're being I'll, an asshole. Again, these culture clashes. But I, I remember earlier in this chapter, Paul was not afraid of this guy. He'd seen him move. I like that. Right. Uh, right. But, but, but once he stepped into that ring, sort of naked and alone, I mean, he's wearing a loincloth, but... He's like, oh boy, I am now afraid. But it's but real. Jessica spots this. She realizes there's desperation in Jameis's face, right? And that's when she says, now he's most dangerous. He's desperate and can do anything. He sees this as not like a child of his own people, but fighting a machine born and trained to it from infancy. Now the fear I planted in him has come to bloom, right? <laughs> he becomes unpredictable, though. That's the fear. Now that now that she sees Jameis's face and Jameis knows that this guy is a much better fighter than him. He's much better trained. Now unpredictability becomes a factor. Mm, um, that's a good point. A, a really good a really good quote from Duncan Idaho is, when your opponent fears you, that's the moment when you give the fear its own reign. Essentially what he's saying here, what I love about this, is he's saying kind of lay back a little. Yeah. There's something to be said about that. I, I, I've seen this in the UFC. This is, you know, this is something the Diaz brothers are masters of. Nate Diaz, right? Nate Diaz. He's a he's a fucking notorious shit talker, and he's cocky. He's a total warrior. He doesn't get knocked out. He he's he, he's lost because they're like you're too bloody. I mean, this is over. Your face is <laughs> hamburger. You can't fight. He's like, oh, okay, I guess you win. But you'll see moments where. He'll he'll pop a guy and the guy you know gets a little funky, gets a little rubber legs, and he sticks his tongue out. He holds his arms out, and he's like, he's allowing those moments for you to realize, holy fuck, I'm fighting Nate Diaz, and he just fucking rocked me. You know, he's <laughs> right. He's letting. He, and this is what he's describing. It's interesting. You don't want to be too cocky or gloating and not seize on the initiative, but but what Duncan's saying is. When your opponent fears you, that's the moment when you give the fear its own reign. Give it the time to work on space. him. Yeah, yeah. Let, it, the let terrified, it become terror. <laughs> exactly. The terrified man fights himself. Indeed. It's exhausting. It's very exhausting. When you're afraid, it really kills your stamina. You do too much. <laughs> mm. So good shit. And um, yeah, Paul... Uh, Paul's... All of the warnings that he got comes to life. The, the fighting in either hand and 
Gurney Halleck saying the knife is more dangerous than the hand. Be it, know where the knife is. Fuck the hand, right? That's great training from Gurney. Yeah. You're, you're, don't, don't think I'm watching his right. I'm watching his right. Just watch the knife. Doesn't matter what hand it is in. Watch where the knife goes, not what hand, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, you're going to die by the point of a knife, not a finger. <laughs> Indeed. And um, I like how Jameis's mistake is bad footwork. That just made me so happy because foot, footwork is so like underappreciated, you know, in, in, I, mean, I guess by casual people, but like it's so, it's so amazing to watch great footwork in combat sports. And I like how Jameis makes bad footwork. He, he, makes, he makes a wrong move with his feet and, uh, and it costs him. Costs yeah. him his life. A shot yeah. in the chest. Pow. He's and he died immediately. I mean, he's down. Yeah. Sounds like he got him straight in the heart. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so. Falls like a limp rag, face down. Gaspons turn his face toward Paul, and he's still. Oof. Oof. Damn. But um, now in this terrible moment, she thought he has killed a man in clear superiority of mind and muscle. He must not grow to enjoy such a victory. And she literally just says, how does it feel to be a killer? Ah. Uh. Damn, what that a harsh, savage question. Savage question. Savage to your training. own son. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> she stumbles a little bit at first, too. I should, well, uh, now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. How right. does it feel to be a killer? <laughs> yep. Uh, Silgar finds this shocking that he's never killed with a blade. He's like, what? He couldn't <laughs> believe it. Right. And he reminds her when he wasn't playing with him. And, uh, he he earns his name. He will be called Lad No More. She is Sayadina. You know, the test stands. Usul, Usul, I believe he's called. And Muad'Dib yeah. of uh, Paul Muad'Dib, right? <laughs> I like right. how he, he picks it. That's awesome. He gets named Usul because it's like the strength beneath a pillar, like the bounda- foundation of a pillar is sure. Usul. Uh, but then, yeah, he's the one who actually picks the name Muad'Dib, the little mouse, the little mouse that jumps. <laughs> Wise to the ways of the desert. I like how Stilgar likes this. Yeah, exactly. And then, dude, I also just love this moment when Jessica has this moment of realization of like, this is Paul's visions coming true. Sure. Because she gasps. It was the name Paul had told her, Mm. saying that the Fremen would accept them and call him thus. She felt a sudden fear of her son and for him. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's so good. Muad'Dib is wise in the ways of the desert. Muad'Dib creates his own water. Muad'Dib hides from the sun and travels in the cool night. Muad'Dib is fruitful and multiplies over the land. Muad'Dib we call instructor of boys. This is a powerful, this is a powerful base on which to build your life, Paul Muad'Dib, who is Usul among us. We welcome you. Very cool. I mean, yeah. you guys are from it now. You're safe. You're safe. There's, there's no more bullshit. It. I love how and, killing one of their own is like what gets them <laughs> gets them safe, gets them back in. And, and I love how the troop is just embracing him. He's basically being handed around and hugged, like, welcome, welcome. Yeah, yeah, being totally yeah. welcomed in. He wasn't crazy about giving up the name Atreides, but he did in favor right. of Paul, his first name, right? Yeah, he keeps his first name, yeah. which is still sort of a severing. Like that, like Absolutely. the name he chooses to keep, he could have been Muad'Dib Atreides, uh, but no, he is Paul Muad'Dib. Paul Muad'Dib. He chose his individual name. Hmm. 
But uh, yeah, this moves to uh, Naimo Adib tying up that still suit. Cheney, Palmo Adib's nose plugs are porous as ever seen. I thought I ordered you to see after him. He gets after a little bit. It's kind of fun, you know, fun brevity here, I guess you could say, or levity is what I'm looking for, not brevity. But, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I like this. They, right. uh, they, they decide right back to military s- discipline. Sniper right back to working, and they decide that they're going to give Jameis a full ceremony. He was our companion and brother of the Ikwan Bedwine. And Paul starts to realize um, there's this plunging once more into the abyss, right? There was no past occupying the future in his mind, except he could still sense the green and black Atreides banner waving somewhere ahead, still see the jihad's bloody swords and fanatic legions. So he has, he keeps having this vision of the Atreides flag being waved ahead of bloody conquest and that he's somehow responsible for this. I love that. It will not be. I cannot let it be. (laughs) I, I feel, (laughs) I feel grim portents over those (laughs) lines (laughs) for sure. The, the, the assuredness, not even really the assuredness, the, the, the desperation in it will not be like the pleading with reality. It will not be this. (laughs) Right. The pleading with reality uh, is a good way to say it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel good to me, man. I'm like, shit, dude. I think you're seeing some gnarly shit that's going to happen. Indeed. <laughs> awesome, oh, man. Well, that, wraps up, uh, that wraps up uh, our discussion of Dune for the day. And uh, we, of course, hope you enjoy it. Let's talk about what we're covering next time. Yes, indeed. And that would be, in my penguin copy, that would be chapter 34 Starting on page 501. Which uh, reads, before you go, oh, you're going to read it? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It reads, God created Arrakis to train the faithful. Perfect. Um, And then that goes all the way to the end is 564. Which is chapter 35, which is the concept of progress acts as a protective dot, dot, dot. And then, of course, chapter 36 Muad'Dib tells us in a time of reflection. And those are the three we're doing. So uh, that for my book, that's 501 to 564. So that's like 63 pages. It's a lot. Okay, That's manageable, though. Yeah, I think that's kind of standard operating procedure for us. So that'll be on our ninth episode coming up uh, in a couple of weeks here. Well, for bonus people. Otherwise, every week, <laughs> if this is a real podcast yet. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Beautiful. Well, that was a ton of fun, man. Hell yeah. No, this was, this was a good read. I'm really excited to, uh, to, to get more into the Fremen culture, to see how this yeah. actually works out, to, to uncover a little more about what this, the, the particular Arrakis style uh, employment of the uh, Missionaria Protectiva looks like. Um, do you, do you miss the Baron a little bit? A little bit. I'm ready for a check-in, or ready especially the- a check-in with a, the Beast Raban. Oh, boy. Squeeze, cousin. Or nephew. (laughs) Fuck yeah, Yeah. I really want to see what's going on back at Arakeen. Well, that old Baron. Piter. He's got to replace (laughs) Piter, doesn't he? Mm. With what? Thufir? (laughs) Oh, boy, oh, boy. Boy. Boy, oh, boy. I'm not going to tell you. Coming up next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're out of here. You guys have a good one. You've been listening to Mind Killer, 
a Dune podcast by LSG Media. For information on upcoming chapters and to continue the conversation, visit us on Discord at libertystreetgeek.net slash discord.